I've got my uh, ballpark sand back. Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to episode 32 of Fratello On Air. I'm your host, Rob Nudge, calling in from Dresden, and in Amsterdam we have our good friend Alan Ben-Joseph from Ace Jewelers. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Good morning, Rob. How are you? Happy New Year, and thank you so much for uh, inviting me back. I'm doing good. It's a real pleasure to have you again. Uh, obviously, we always enjoy talking about watches. Sometimes we tackle some rather out there topics and uh, things a little bit more esoteric than your general watch releases. But today we're going to go for a very humble, very personally inspired uh, meander down ownership lane. I want to know more about Alan's experience being the owner of, an, of a Bulgari Otto Finissimo automatic. Tell me about this watch, Alan. How, how does it feel to have it on your wrist? So, I'm definitely not objective. This is a disclaimer. I love Bulgari, always did. Um, fell in love instantly with the Octo when it came out, and the Finissimo pulled the trigger for me to actually acquire one for my personal collection when it came out back in 2017. That's the old titanium satin finished one. Um, I utterly love it. Um, for those that don't know, um, there are strong ties between Bulgari and Gerald Genta. The uh, late designer, may he rest in peace, um, obviously was an, a famous, legendary watch designer, worked for multiple brands, um, had his own watch brand as well, um, designed watches for Bulgari back in the day, for the Bulgari family. They actually acquired the brand, Gerald uh, Genta, so that brand was incorporated into Bulgari. Last year, we saw they uh, revived a retro model, which you and I have discussed already. Yeah. Um, so there's strong ties. And there are a lot of discussions if Genta designed the Octo. Apparently, the current designer, who's, in my humble opinion, also a legendary designer, who is Fabrizio Buonamassa. Um, he's an amazing watch designer. He's actually responsible for the Finissimo version. Um, in interviews- right, so there's a distinction there, right, between like the Octo family in general, which was originally like a little bit thicker, and then this new this new branch, this, this really nuanced branch, uh, the Finissimo. We talked about it before. How many facets does the Finissimo have so- on its So I've been told, I haven't counted them, but they're 110 Possible? you've owned this watch for three years and you haven't actually taken time to count them you've got to do that sometime we should do dude, a live stream that's a, live a good, stream idea. That's a good idea but dude you know my attention spam is as short as i don't know what animal we use for that metaphor but um i'll just believe them um when they say it um i'm already mesmerized by the fact that it has three shapes in it right square round and octag- octagonal which that's why it's called Octo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I think they've done beautifully, so I've owned the um, chronograph version with the El Premier movement. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mm-hmm. get on board with the three-hand version that they had. Stunning. Um, 
ticker case, it did have the, or still has the manufacture BVL191 movement. But what they did in 2017 was literally record-breaking. They won a world record with the thinnest, slimmest automatic movement on the market. One that you actually can wear and doesn't bend when you hold it in your hands. Um, they created a caliber called BVL138 with a micro-rotor, which I love micro-rotor movements. It's only 2.23 millimeters thick. Um, and in diameter, only 36.6 millimeters. So that's for the geeks out there. Usually I have difficulty remembering all the specs up until a tenth of a millimeter. But this is so mind-blowing that although Piaget broke the world record, I believe one or two years afterwards, I always respectfully say, in theory, because that watch can't really be worn on the wrist because that one is so slim that you can bend it by hand. Yeah, I, I remember talking to a watchmaker who was um, assembling these movements when they were first created. And no word of a lie, he said if he breathed out, or in fact, if his face was one or two degrees hotter than it should have been, the plates were so thin they would distort, like warp, only temporarily, of course. They just flex a little bit, and they'd crush the end shake. That's the up and down play that you have um, on a, a pivot between the jewels. Yeah. So it sits between them. It needs to have a little wiggle room so it can move. You know, space is is essential to any watch movement so, it can, so the wheels can run freely. And if those plates on these calibers that are so, so, so incredibly fine just tweak slightly, that's it. That's game over. It stops. So yeah, um, I think one of the comments I've heard from owners of the Octo Finissimo, not just the version you've got, but all of them, is how surprisingly robust they feel on the wrist, considering their slimness. Yeah, they feel like so, genuine watches, and that's a really important thing in this in this sphere. I think exactly. It's a it, it can literally be worn as a daily beater, and I guess enough on the geek level of millimeters and <laughs> world wrecking break uh, world uh, breaking records and stuff because that's not really important because you asked me why i loved it i love titanium watches i love the gray color on titanium i love satin finished watches so i immediately fell head over heels in love with the watch the design and Something that I don't think we see that often is the ton sur ton, so the color tone on tone dial, which is titanium as well. Yeah, that's nice. And and um, the the subtle play of the seconds hand on the seven o'clock position, it's playful. The black hands and indexes only a twelve and a six, which is is uh, stunning. I'm I'm a sucker for fonts. So I love the font on it. So this was it for me. And then when I put it on in Basel World, when they launched in 2017, I said, this is it. And the funny thing is, I immediately went for the version with the titanium bracelet. People call it an integrated bracelet, which technically it isn't because mm -hmm. it comes with a leather strap. And the funny thing is the, the good peeps at Bulgari all said 90% will buy it on leather. And I said, no, 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 guys. When I no. saw it, I said, this is the Neo Royal Oak. And, Absolutely. And, and I said, okay, this is, this is a different ball game. 
guys, you're going to attract all these guys that already have the Nautilus and already have a Royal Oak and have the engineer and have a uh, Vachon overseas and etc. And this was obviously before we saw the big blow trend this year, or I mean 2020, because we're already in 2021. Um, last year, we saw a major introductions of integrated braces, which is awesome. So although people call this an integrated bracelet watch, it technically isn't because you can swap straps, which is cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But it looks like one, right? I have two questions for you. Yes, please. Um, Covering a couple of things that you touched on. So I'm going to just jump right back while I remember to the micro rotor. Now I've been writing a lot recently about this movement and about this watch and about how I think it's a modern classic. You, you just, you said the same thing just there. You see it as a successor to the Royal Oak. I a hundred percent agree with you. You mentioned uh, last year, we saw some great integrated bracelets uh, like the Chapek Antarctic and the H Moser streamliner, which I also club in this, this modern Holy Trinity, which I compare quite favorably to the uh, Vacheron Overseas, the uh, Patek Nautilus, and the Audemars Royal Oak. But one question uh, popped up. I do not own the Octo Finissimo. I would like to one day very much. I would like exactly the version you chose on the titanium bracelet as well, because I believe that is the truest expression of the design. But I got a comment on one of the articles I wrote last week from a couple of readers actually said the same thing. Both of them were struggling um, with the micro rotor to wind sufficiently the movement throughout a day of office work. Yeah. And they've, they've taken to like giving it a few winds, which I mean, I, I do that with my automatic watches anyway, to be quite frank, when I get up in the morning, um, partly out of habit and partly because I like to play with them. But mm-hmm. have you noticed this? I mean, you're an active guy. You gesticulate wildly enough, I would imagine, to wind any micro rotor. Yeah. <laughs> is it so, the case or what? So, so very valid point and a good question. So whenever I sell or recommend a consumer a watch with a micro rotor, I warn them. I said micro rotors are a different ballgame. They obviously are smaller, smaller mass, often platinum rotor, right? Like mm-hmm. is the case here. Um, I also used to own a Parmigiani Tonda 1950. So the white gold version had a platinum rotor. The steel version have a tantalum rotor. So that's that, that, that reduced the price. But again, the mass is different on the rotor. So I expected the worst. I know that Pateks, a lot of them have micro rotors and they're very fragile. You need to be delicate and careful with them. I am mm-hmm. not careful with my watches. I wear them almost always unless I literally need to use a hammer. But since I'm <laughs> right-handed and my watch is on my left hand, I still don't take off my watch, right? Uh-huh, if uh-huh. I play tennis, I wear it. If I play golf, I'll wear my Omega Master Coaxials. They can literally take it. In the past, I would wear my IWC Engineer. So these watches can take it. But, but I always warn, don't wear them when playing golf. So I did not encounter that problem. Now... My my normal day routine is I do spend a lot of time at the desk, but I also do get up a lot. And I talk with my hands while I'm on a non-visual podcast with you. So <laughs> um, my tip for those guys that commented on your article 
is do what you indeed do and me myself as well because you and I both have a lot of manual wind watches I guess it became a ritual to every morning wind a watch and because it's fun because you can literally connect with your watch mm-hmm. is um, give it give it a, a whirl technically if you wear a Bulgari Octofinissimo automatic on a daily basis technically you should not need to wind them just for the record okay I haven't encountered them I've sold several dozens of these movements. Um, I did not encounter that. I would say that you're more likely to run into a problem if you pick up the watch completely cold and completely flat and you put it on your wrist with no wind whatsoever or you give it a couple of winds to get it going in the morning. I think that if you are working with a watch that has at one point been fully wind and then you wear it on a daily basis, you're never going to drop down below like um, a full power reserve at that point. You may struggle throughout a day of desk work to get from zero to 100% wind. If you you give it that boost, then it should, yeah, I mean, that's my feeling anyway. No, Um, well, you're the watchmaker and not me, but... Um, yeah. Okay. What, well, I, what I would say, what I would yeah. say, never ever wear a watch cold from your safe uh, watch winder or socket uh, so, uh, socks drawer out cold. Give it a jump start. I always say, any watch, mechanical or hand wound, wind it at least forty times to give it that jump start. Because on average, we say a rotor to go from zero to 100%, if it's a power reserve of around 42 hours, needs around 600 rotations, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On average, um, some calibers nowadays, like the Peloton winding system by IWC, when they, they, they wind both sides, so if a rotor rotates both directions, it winds, but the majority of calibers are blank one side of rotation, Right. So, Do you think so, that's true still? You think the majority of calibers yeah. are unidirectional? Yeah. I, yeah. I reckon that nowadays, I reckon a huge amount. I mean, bidirectional winding is 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 relatively commonplace. In, so, in, so hereby, uh, officially, I ask you kindly, but kind of urge you, this calls out for an article on fratellowatches.com. <laughs> yeah, okay. How I many will, percent of calibers today is uni or bidirectional? Well, you know. Of automatic uh, for, movements. I wish there were more unidirectional movements, to be honest, because in some ways they uh, they make life a little bit easier for a watchmaker. Yeah. Um, geared reverses, um, the reversing wheels on automatic winding modules are often the most likely component to fail. Um, if you if you don't know what they look like for any people who haven't worked on watches themselves and maybe have seen some pictures of movements, if you search for a Rolex movement, they're really easy to spot because they're red in a Rolex movement, the reversing wheels. Mm-hmm. And they're able to pick up the um, energy from winding weight, no matter which direction it's going, and convert it into winding power uh, for the watch. Mm-hmm. And they're very useful, and they have made uh, automatic winding mechanisms far more efficient, but also far more um, troublesome, shall we say. I have a second question for you, okay? Now, this is, again, something that came up in one of my articles the other day. Um, I'm not a complete egoist. I do read other people's articles, but I have to read my own as I write them, unfortunately. So um, somebody made a comment in response to me saying that titanium was a comfortable metal to wear because of its conductivity. Now, I admit wholeheartedly that I was a bit vague in what I meant by that. What I meant by that was it's actually its low conductivity that makes it comfortable to wear. So this may sound a bit counterintuitive. So let's start from the top. Mm -hmm. When you compare titanium to steel and platinum and gold, Mm -hmm. 
the metal has much lower conductivity mm-hmm. for heat and electricity and whatnot. So one might think that therefore gold, steel, and platinum will heat up to your wrist faster than titanium would. Mm-hmm. That is actually true. However, key is titanium does not cool down as quickly as these other metals either. It's not as reactive. So when you take a titanium watch off, it will remain a far more neutral temperature. Um, so when you put it on your skin, it will, it feels a bit odd, doesn't it? It feels like it's sort of come from another world. Yeah. And, and, and in cold climates, like both of us live in, especially in these months that we currently are in, the benefit of it is that when you put it on, it's not as cold as a steel watch. Yeah. So um, you're 100% correct. It doesn't uh, heat up as quick and as much as steel or gold. Um, obviously, if people ask me, why, Alon, do you have gold watches? And why would you ever in the world buy white gold or platinum? It's for that reason, that that, that first touch on your skin, and to take off a gold or platinum watch, nothing beats it, Right. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. nice, warm. It it, it 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 becomes more personal. Um, my reason, first and foremost, for titanium is the color, and yeah. when you satinate it, so give it a matte finish, and it, the, I believe the nicest method is um, blasting it with sapphire balls. So not it's the same method as sandblasting, but they yeah. use sapphire beads instead of. Um, sand or whatever material that gives it a bit of pearly finish to titanium. And then you have in titanium different grades of titanium, which also gives a different color effect. But maybe we're going uh, too much into detail right now for this podcast. But um, so, yeah, you're totally correct. It does give a different vibe. Um, It's fun to wear. Um, But for me, nothing beats gold in that sense. You know what I like? Um, sorry, Rob, this and, and before I forget, one last yeah. thing I wanted to say for those, for those listeners that have allergies, titanium is the best because it's also hyperallergenic. Um, Hypoallergenic. Hypo, right? you're right. I still yeah, yeah. corrected. Hypoallergenic. So for those that have, get rashes from nickel, often nickel is the trigger for those people with allergies and skin rashes. And you'll find it either in steel or in gold. So that can be an issue. Um, I've never encountered anybody who has that and wears a titanium watch. It always solves that problem. So that's a benefit as well. Besides being that, light. Yeah, now, so there you go. You, you gave me a perfect segue back to what I was about to say. What I like about it in this watch in particular is that the lightness makes visual sense. Yeah. Okay, so... I used to be a watchmaker for Omega and I used to service a lot of late nineties, early two thousands Seamasters. Mm-hmm. Seamaster three hundred M's is what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. And th- they did steel cases, steel bracelets, and they did titanium cases and titanium bracelets. Now this is not a large watch really. It's back then I think what was it, forty one back then? Forty one, forty millimeters. So, yeah. I think it was around forty one in those days. And um the steel made sense. It made sense. You picked it up. It looked like an object that should have weighed what it weighed. The titanium version of this watch, and I, I remember a particular one which had a sort of uh, glossy, um, almost iridescent blue dial. I don't know if you remember it. It was a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. It was a dark gray case and this really sort of vivid um, Tron-esque blue dial. Yeah. 
And it was all titanium. And it felt wrong. It felt hollow. It felt tinny. It felt like um, just as if there was something missing from the watch. It felt like there was no movement inside it, basically. It was so light. Because the watch had a greater visual impact, it wasn't. It didn't accurately reflect what I expected when I put it on the wrist. With the Octo Finissimo, however, especially on the bracelet, because it has that extra weight of a bracelet, it just feels right. It feels balanced. It feels slim. It it it, it tells your mind when you look at it, this is going to be a feather-like watch. So, and Rob, it, we just added something very important to your infamous VII, Visual Impact Index. <laughs> we need to add a dimension now to... Um, because you're on 2D or 3D. We're talking about visuals. So that's 2D basically, right? So we're adding a third dimension that when you see a product, you associate it to a particular weight. So now we need to say, hey, the weight matches the, the, the visual impact. So I think we, you need to, to elaborate on your genius VII, which I love, as you know. Very kind of you. Um, so, so yeah, I concur with you. Because it's a slim watch, it, it goes hand in hand. It's perfect. And I think the most mind-blowing thing was that this uh, 2020, so last year, we're only five days into the new year, so I need to get adjusted, but that they launched exactly one year ago, the steel versions of the Octofinissimo Automatic, that was actually a shocker. That one has been received very well. And the funny thing is we sold multiple of the steel versions to owners of the titanium, and they did not trade in. They have both. Wow. And that's interesting. And that's a compliment to the designers of Bulgari and the whole Bulgari team for creating a product so good that it can be so versatile and Mm -hmm. it attracts the same consumer and making them want to buy another one of the same watch. Okay, so I have a question about the consumers. Now, you've been a Bulgari dealer for a long time. You know well, this brand. Well, honestly, inside. not that long, actually. It feels long, and I'm very passionate. But How many been, years has it been that? If I'm not mistaken, we started back in end of 2014. Oh, that's a long time. Come nah. on. I mean, think of, all, think of all the watches that have been released since then. Think of everything that's okay. happened. Think all of right. all the fairs, all, right. all the travel, all okay. the pandemic. Okay. Uh, you know. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, so six years. You, you, you've done. You, you know, you're not. A, you're not a newbie. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know your stuff. You own Bulgari. You sell. You sell the brand. Yeah. You have a great uh, list of customers, loyal customers, friends, colleagues. Um, you know their likes, their dislikes. You know what they're into. Whether they buy Bremont, whether they buy Omega, whether they buy um, Breitling. You name it. Nomos, um, Rolex, whatever. What kind of stuff? Does your well tell me what your normal Bulgari customer looks like, and then tell me what kind of stuff they also like to buy sideways. Is, do you sell more to men, more to women? Okay, so let's people? do the evolution maybe quickly. So okay. we've been in love with Bulgari for a long time because that passion was instilled in me by my mom. Bulgari, for those that don't know, is a Greek man, Bulgaris, who came to Rome almost over 100 years ago, changed his name to an Italian version of it, which became Bulgari. He started in Rome near the Spanish steppes. Jeweler, made jewelry, made awesome things. I think the heydays of his success were the 20s up to the 50s, um, including Sophia Lorna, etc. 
very early on upon request of customers, he started making watches, I believe already in the 20s, 30s. Um, most recently, they found the, the infamous Serpenti watch, so the snake watch, that it wasn't the 50s or 60s, that they had an earlier version even. So they made jewelry with antique Roman coins. They translate that a bit into watches. Um, the Serpenti made them legendary. And very early on, the um, last generation of Bulgaris, before they sold to LVMH, really loved watches. And because they loved watches and had a very deep passion for watches, they knocked on Joel Genta's door in the 80s already. And he worked with them on many projects. The most famous Genta watch for Bulgari was the Bulgari Bulgari bezel. Right. What a lot of people don't know, they started um, that watch with only Bulgari at the top and the bottom one stated Roma. Oh, really? Because it's and, based on a coin, right? That's the, the whole point. Yeah, it's based on a coin, on a Roman coin. Um, the Romans were one of the first to make golden coins. Well, obviously other civilizations did as well, but in Europe that was the most famous. That was the inspiration for Gio Genta. They made those watches as a loaner to their regular customers that handed in repairs. No way. That's what I've been told. And um, upon that project, they created the watch. And Gerald Gento wasn't just a brilliant designer and ahead of his time. He was a great marketeer. In the 80s, we had logo mania, right? Everything Mm -hmm. was plastered with logos. So he mirrored the Bulgari logo twice on the bezel. And that's why when the Bulgari Bulgari got created. So that's that story. So that was a long time, their uh, pinnacle collection. Then in the 90s, they made the amazing aluminium rubber version with integrated bracelet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, which sold like crazy. So, and they re- relaunched that last year, right? Yeah, cool watch. So, nice so and comfortable. Last summer. Yeah. And then... But because it's a jewelry brand and it's a jeweler and a jewelry brand, 80, 90% of the turnover is and was jewelry. And all the dealers that were multi-brand like Ace had both. And in their stores, 80%, 90% was jewelry sales. So Bulgari, we approached them and said, we love your watches. Why? Both for ladies because that's where they were strong they had the serpenti there's nothing like it it really added to our collection of brands and feminine watches because we try to cater both men and women although men dominate in the watch industry women are very important to us as well so every single product in the bulgari collection is so unique there's nothing like it that's why we like bulgari design wise and quality wise and the last generation of Bulgarians, what I was saying, didn't only were smart enough and visionary to attract Geogenta. They also started very early on to invest in their own factories in Switzerland. So they married Italian design with Swiss quality very early on. They weren't a fashion brand. They invested and they're reaping the benefits now, two decades later, by being literally vertically integrated and 100% manufacturer, including 
cases, dials, bracelets, everything. They can do everything in-house. There are four sites in Switzerland, and they actually do not produce for anybody else. No other brand, not even LVMH brands anymore. I mean, that is not something that Bulgari gets anywhere near enough credit for because it is so famous as a jeweler, and for good reason. I mean, it is one of the greatest jewelers in in the world, in the history of mankind. So, So, this special. Yeah, so that stigma actually worked against them. So whereas most watch brands have difficulty to attract the feminine buyers or men buying female watches, whatever, the there are two brands that really are feminine, right? That's Cartier. They have mm-hmm. that stigma. There are not a lot of men that wear Cartier watches, although more than Bulgari. So they started focusing on the Octo. And they said, hey, we need to balance that out. So they start investing and Bulgari does everything the Bulgari way. Long-term vision, although they're part of LVMH, long-term vision. They set out a strategy for a decade, not one or two years, and not two quarters or three quarters, 10 years. And they said, okay, we're going to do it the Bulgari way. And something that I've learned on my several manufacturer visits, their slogan is, and that's the slogan for Italian design, molto non troppo. It's a lot, but never too much. And that says it all. <laughs> Molto non troppo. And I love that uh, because I've, I, I, we've been selling and working with Italy ever since I'm a kid. And, 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 and it took me three, four decades to understand why the Italians are the Italians and why Italian design is the best in everything they do. And for me, that's the summary of why they are the best. They started on the male journey. And the Octo is their pinnacle collection. And they started mm-hmm. investing in it. And it took them over five years to develop the Finissimo. And they took their time. And, um, and, and, and then they didn't go for gold. They went for platinum in the sense of medals. That they said, okay, we won world records. And not just one. They have now their fifth world record on the Acto platform within six years. Amazing. I guess that says it all, right? So, <laughs> it's a really- Endorsement for the yeah. quality of the watches. So yeah. back in 2015, 16, when we got on board, um, we loved for everything that it was. I loved the old Octo. And when I saw the Finissimo, I said, okay, these guys are not going for gold. They're going for platinum in the Hotologerie. But it took years for consumers to get on board, right? So the, the, the early adapters, the innovators, they got it. They saw the Neo Royal Oak in it. And that's the ones we sold it to. But the majority that came into the store, when I showed it to them, yeah, cool watch. Ooh, too pricey for mm-hmm. a Bulgari. Or the comment was, ah, feminine watch. So that stigma, they needed to overcome that. So we could maybe say that Bulgari is, is, a, is a victim of their own success because they're such a legendary epic brand. The disadvantage is they branched out so much. They have perfume, they have hotels, they have jewelry, sunglasses. So sometimes it can work against you for the purest, right? Yeah, absolutely. But they're overcoming that because what you can see for those that are very much into our industry, they have a director for watchmaking, Antoine Penn, and before him, Guido Trini, two amazing guys. They can do whatever they want. For the little things, they need to sign off with Babin, who's a watch guy. They have a designer, Fabrizio, who just does watches. The other 
categories. So bag design, jewelry design, they consult him, but he just does watches. He's based in Neuchâtel in their HQ watchmaking and they're dedicated and have a long-term vision. And that gives me faith as a retailer. And that gives in the end, the consumer faith. I think it's clear to see um, that they have really succeeded in pushing the watchmaking envelope. They took a very serious route towards it, but they did it on all fronts as well. Yes, of course, the thing that gives them this incredible, deep, long-standing credibility is the investment in uh, vertical manufacture and having their own movements and breaking these world records. I mean, it's crazy to think this is a this is a, an LVMH brand, and yet it's uh, it's it's standing alongside brands like Hublot, which is is nothing if it's not innovation. And it's standing alongside Zenith, which has like one of the longest histories of innovation in the watchmaking industry. And yet somehow, Bulgari, a brand that was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, just really seen, especially in the mainstream as, you know, a ladies jewelry brand is now outperforming both of these guys right next to it. Uh, it's, it's, it's the one, it is the shining light. It's the jewel in the crown, perhaps we could say now of LVMH, which is, no small feat um, at all. And the way they did it, I think, was to really, really push a hyper-masculine aesthetic in an attempt to create that differentiation from the jewelry range while retaining a hyper-feminine as- uh, aesthetic for the ladies' range. So you've got the Serpenti still with diamond-encrusted versions and stone-set versions and um, the Diva's Dream collection with um, you know um, gemstone dials then on the other side of things you've got this completely brutal angular blasted case 100 percent titanium um housing and bracelet for the guys although i will say i think that the octo finissimo is very appealing to women as well because of its wearability and its 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 flatness i don't think diameters bigger diameters scare women at all these days i think maybe thicknesses do you don't want a top heavy watch on a slender wrist, yeah. but a wide watch is fine. Yeah. All I hope next, and this is the last thing I'll say before we wrap this up, is that we get a full titanium vapor blasted serpenti for me. <laughs> well, I'll make sure that Fabrizio will listen to this podcast and <laughs> as well. So I will uh, email them, but although I, I, I'm quite confident they read um, Fratello watches articles and maybe they even listen to the podcast I don't know but uh, that would be amazing and um, <laughs> I'd uh, love it I'd love it I'd go for it 100% uh, it's amazing yeah. yeah wear it all the way up my arm look Alan that was a brilliant brilliant chat we dived into some strange aspects about um, the Octo Finissimo and the brand in yeah, general and we're, we're, we, we can continue for two more hours because we we, we can speak about all the other Octos so the, uh, the Tourbillon Flying Tourbillon the automatic GMT right which we didn't even speak Chrono GMT we didn't even speak about but the last thing I, if I may I quickly yeah. want to put in you know what really made me go for that titanium octo automatic finissimo is when i opened the titanium bracelet looked how they did the double butterfly clasp they carved out the titanium links and the butterfly mechanism sinks in to the bracelet and Mm. then i said you know what these guys are different they're in a different stratosphere 
they take it so serious and they respect design and the wearer. They didn't cut corners on anything. You know, I've wanted one of those watches since you let me try yours on in Baselworld um, all those years ago. And uh, funnily enough, that might have been the moment that you just pushed me right over the edge. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's scalloped um, butterfly clasp. Yeah. That is something and and we didn't talk about the pink gold satin finish with the, with the gold. Now, that's my next one, the, 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 the tone <laughs> on tone. When I, the, the year after they launched the pink gold satin finish, do you know of a gold gold watch that's fully satin finished? I, I do not. So do I'm not. still saving up. So both you and I have, uh, we need to hustle to, to, to acquire <laughs> two finissimos. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we're doing, we're doing our best. We're doing yeah. our best. You know, we, 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 at least we're, we're pushing the passion for this watch, which we both genuinely share. Yeah. Oh, one more thing. You didn't answer my question. Sorry. What other brands, what other brands do Bulgari customers buy? What's, what's the, what's so, the, so what's we, the we, we attract different, three different consumers on this on on this watch it's either hardcore watch enthusiasts that are so blown away by the design and technique that they get over their um stigma of being a jewelry brand we -hmm, attract mm -hmm. those that literally are attracted to the brand and and say hey this is a truly bulgari watch and this is this 21st century bulgari and they buy that so it's a bulgari consumer um and 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 then you have those that that um, I, I call them the Gerald Genta types. Does that okay. say enough? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they they're the people that have in in, in the past uh, latched on to classic designs from other major yeah. maisons, shall we say? Oh, okay. Interesting. That is interesting. It's nice to know that there's those different angles yeah. that the customer. It's interesting. Go. It's interesting. To see, it's it's rather versatile. That's uh, that's uh, healthy to hear that for the yeah, future. Yeah. Definitely. Right. We're going to wrap this up. Okay. But if you have enjoyed this podcast, of course, Alan and I will be back on Fratello on air very soon, I'm, I'm sure. But there's also a chance to hear us talk again on, on your new Ace radio station. Alan, do you want to just... We, 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 you and I obviously sat down for the video interview, the Ace List Live. Um, we streamed those uh, sessions as audio only on our podcast channel, but due to a request of viewers, um, we're launching a new series called the art of collecting worst watches, which is audio exclusive on our podcast channel. You and I are going to record one next week and I hope it will be live next Tuesday, Wednesday. So, uh, make sure to uh, just Google Ace Judas podcast and that will be, uh, original and exclusive content, um, which will not be shared anywhere else awesome so between ace and fratello we've got you covered for your daily commute if it starts again ever um or otherwise just plug us into your ears go for a run enjoy your freedom through exercise that the lockdown affords us and uh tune in next time for some more watch news and some more takeaways by owners wearers and collectors that was episode 32 of fratello on air thank you very much <laughs>